You're listening to Little Bites, solutions you can snack on. This is Sammy with today's guest snacker, Lisa Robinson, coming to you from the pantry, Volunteer Toronto's crowded storage closet. On today's episode, let's build up some walls and take them right back down again as we learn about the barriers people face in finding volunteer roles. First up is our snack of the day. M&M's! Just the regular kind, no peanuts, not caramel, plain old-fashioned, brightly colored candy that is surrounding chocolate. And we apologize if there's crunching sounds in the background as we eat our delicious M&M's. Okay, Lisa, so you've been uh, deeply involved in the work. Why don't you tell us what you're doing? Great. So for the last nine weeks now, I've been looking at the research and also what's happening in Toronto around barriers that do exist, not just for volunteering, but also for employment and access to education for groups of individuals. And what the research has largely shown us is that barriers do exist, and that's something that is prevalent throughout all three of these different categories. Now, as Volunteer Toronto, we're focusing on barriers to volunteering specifically, but with the long-term outcome being increased employability for those who might otherwise have less access to meaningful employment. Could you give me an example of who a person like that might be? Uh, It might be someone who has recently immigrated to Canada and English might be their second language. Um, Or it could be that their educational qualifications come from an international education or school rather and and therefore doesn't transfer at the same level that it might have. Okay. It were from. So you're saying uh, it's been you've been here about nine weeks. So you're very much <laughs> at the start of the at the start of the period. Yeah. Um, could you just give a sense of what what the overall outcome is going to be uh, when your work is done? Yeah. I the overall outcome that we're hoping for is first of all to start. I think that people, whether you're really aware of it or not, you've you've seen or experienced barriers yourself. I think the first goal for me is that we start to name these barriers, but also we name them and then say now what. Um, And we come up with different sort of goals and different tools that we can use to start to minimize these barriers. So the other outcomes would be these tools, these supports for organizations and also supports for individuals. So let's go back to naming barriers. Name three right now on the spot. Name three barriers. Okay. um, English as a second language, uh, not having a resume, and having, having mental health or mental illness, rather, that prevents you from being able to engage in, like, a long-term employment situation. Okay. Uh, Or volunteering situation. Let's think about the organizations, because you also mentioned that it's not just the the volunteers that have barriers. You said that our listeners are facing barriers, too. So can you give... I I won't put you on the spot for three, but can you give an example of... Oh, I can do three. Okay, three barriers for organizations, Um, then. Organizations are chronically underfunded. Um, Often, they... The resources that are available are not specific to volunteer programs and the staff also are not always volunteer specific so it's kind of like I'm a program manager and a volunteer manager um aren't we all yeah (laughs) (laughs) which means that you just don't have 40 hours a week to dedicate to thinking through these barriers and minimizing them necessarily Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, so uh, you were just recently presenting at our Vector Conference, which was it our was. fourth conference. And so you were talking about sort of what you found so far, which yeah. you shared a little bit of. Um, so I do actually have a few questions for you. Um, so I think uh, you've talked about the kinds of barriers, but how do you really define what a barrier is or even the term barrier in that sense? Right. So this is kind of a two-part answer, and it's 
not going to totally answer your question, Sammy, but uh, all right, <laughs> yeah, but going with it. Um, so the the first answer is it doesn't really matter how I define a barrier. Um, it it matters about the individual or the organization how they define the barriers. <laughs> Sammy's just crunching on M and M's here while we go through. I can't resist. <laughs> they are delicious. If I were to define it with that caveat, um, I would say that it's anything that prevents an individual or an organization from accessing services and resources that they want to access or need to access. So maybe let's think of the example of a volunteer manager. Yeah. A barrier to them is that they may not just have the time to go through everyone's resumes. Exactly. And that could come from funding. That could come from any time number Time is reasons. a scarce resource in the yes. nonprofit world. For everybody. <laughs> and also in life. Right. So... This is a this is a question I've been wondering, uh, and I wondered even at the Vector Conference a little bit too. And and yeah. you did share a lot of this. Uh, what will this research really tell us that we just don't already know? Yeah. So, I would say that we already know a lot about this. I do know a lot. You're right. You do know a lot, just in general terms okay. too, about information. Yeah, I'm I'm very smart. Everyone, you all heard it here first on also the first episode full of Little of Bites. Sort of useless facts. Mostly useless facts. <laughs> Um, but I would say that what this research is going to do is draw the connection between, um, what barriers exist for individuals, um, in accessing volunteering and as such meaningful employment, what barriers exist for organizations (coughs) in supporting volunteers who might have, um, extra needs in engaging in volunteering, and then drawing the connection between those sort of two different worlds and finding some actionable items that we can do to make sure that volunteers who have um, who face barriers are getting the extra support they need from the beginning of the process through wit- into a, a volunteer position with the organization and that organizations also feel like they have those sort of support- supports. Does that make sense? I think it does. I think I would yeah. I guess I would synthesize that as we're going to try to help organizations bring those people in, people who are facing barriers into their program, walk with organizations through that step, and the volunteers also have tools to do that successfully. So that essentially, it's it's kind of both both sides. I mean, obviously, it's early enough, we don't know what the tools look like yet, but would you say that's a pretty accurate... Absolutely. There will be tools. I like to think of it as, by the end of this, we're going to have a roadmap um, of how to support volunteers and a roadmap for organizations on how to minimize barriers and support volunteers as well. All right. I, everyone likes roadmaps. No um, sense of direction. But I love a good roadmap. <laughs> well, then that's a good segue to my next question then, yeah. because uh, I I'm, I find myself quite good at reading maps, How, and I find <laughs> it something that's useful. So how can you make sure that everything you're working on and everything you're doing is going to be useful? And I stress the word useful because, as our listeners know, uh, I like to provide a lot of resources and a lot of different tools in my workshops and in different things I do, and I really strive to make it useful, but sometimes I know I can also overburden people. So how do we make sure this is useful to to everybody, to volunteers and volunteer managers? Yeah, I think that the first sort of thing that I'm conscious of in making sure it's very useful <coughs> is that if this were an easy problem to solve, we wouldn't be talking about it right now if barriers were easy to minimize. Um, and I think to me that ties into the idea that um, that we don't want people to feel like they haven't they've done something wrong or haven't done the best that they can already with what they have. Right. Um, really taking the, the problem outside of the organization or the individual and um, and making it about the problem and how to do better. better. <laughs> right. Does that make sense? Rather than the organization or the people just not doing 
it well enough. Yeah, and it's, yeah. I guess it also partially says, I mean, I've heard stories that volunteer managers are doing this well. And yes. even despite best intentions, there can be a disconnect between that volunteer manager and the volunteer. Absolutely, which is a great um, great segue to the next way that I want to make sure this is really useful. Information. Um, yes, I've, I've read a lot of research. I've read a lot of reports, and that's all well and good, and it reflects what is happening. But I also want to get a good sense before we make any recommendations or create tools of what's happening for the individuals who are facing barriers, right. as well as what's happening for the for volunteer managers out there in their organizations and what their, their really tangible and workable needs are. So... Um, kind of the next steps that we're looking at is I'm, in, I'm engaging individuals with lived experience of barriers to employment, education, and volunteering. Because and you're, you're getting their stories, basically. Yeah, exactly, okay. and understanding what their experience has been, but also just straight up asking them, what do you need to make this easier or more accessible to you? Um, and then doing the same with volunteer managers in the sector, um, talking to individuals who live this every day and every day come up against, hey, how can we support this volunteer better? How can we diversify and make our volunteer program more inclusive? And really, I'm hoping to bring, really just collect the knowledge and then make that into, into something that's very user-friendly. All right. Uh, well, then that's actually a, leads to something as well. How can people contact you? Oh, great question. So if anyone's interested in getting involved in this research, volunteer managers who might want to share your knowledge and expertise, you can email me, um, lrobinson at volunteertoronto.ca, or you can give me a call as well. Uh, we'll make sure that information is on the blog post, so you'll be seeing it there in front of you too. Uh, I have, I do have one more uh, kind of major question um, before we uh, before we kind of close out and with our big bite. Um, what surprised you in what you found so far? Yeah, so it's interesting that you asked that because this morning I was at um, a talk on basically this idea that the opportunity equation, which is the equation that if you have access and you have resources, <coughs> then you will be able to be successful. And if you work hard. And this new research says that uh, that it's not just about working hard anymore. It's so much about access. And I think I'm surprised by how much factors like the area of the city you're born in, the color of your skin, these sorts of things, how much this can affect your access, which actually affects your ability to engage in meaningful volunteer and meaningful employment opportunities. And I think that this is really relevant to uh, volunteering because more and more the sector is more professionalized and so we see these barriers that exist in the employment realm also perpetuate in the volunteering realm and volunteering really is an amazing way to gain access to right. different resources out there that can lead to more opportunities so and i think it's possible people don't realize that those barriers that they're facing in the employment world they're also facing in the volunteer world Absolutely, as well and then yeah. that's a way to increase the, the access too yeah yeah. Awesome. Well, then I have just kind of one major question, uh, kind of a, a big bite for us. What okay. can our listeners take back with them uh, to their offices? Something they may not be able to do today, but they can definitely do tomorrow and do next week and, and beyond. Yeah. So I'd say kind of the big bite, um, revisit if your organization has it already, your uh, diversity and inclusivity policy. Okay. And think about that and how you would frame that for a volunteer program and your volunteers specifically. If you don't have a diversity or inclusivity policy, then, you know, maybe write one. Ask if you can write one. That's a bigger thing to take on for sure. Right. <laughs> um, but if that seems big, a good place to start 
most organizations have their policies online. We we do. Yeah. We have our, ours online. I'll link it right on the blog post yeah. as well. Amazing. So that's a great place to start. While it is just a policy and it's on paper, it indicates to individuals that it's something your organization is committed to. It also gives everyone this roadmap idea of where to start when you're looking at what do we value in our organization and therefore in our volunteer program as far as access and minimizing barriers. Right on. Yeah. I'd also say... This is maybe like a medium bite. Is that okay? Yeah, totally fine. Okay. Bites have different sizes. Okay. As this I would be like four M&Ms. M&Ms. Okay. The last one was probably like 10 M&Ms. Um, so I guess the, the other thing I'd say is uh, talk to your coworkers. This is really about spreading what we're learning and talking about barriers and how to minimize them. It's not always a comfortable conversation to have because it's tied into so many, so many different constructs, social and otherwise, and it makes us kind of reflect on who we are as well. But I know that you're busy, so I've given you a script on how you can start this conversation. Okay. Um, so you could say something like, oh, hey, I listened to this great podcast from Volunteer Toronto. The host was good, but the special guest, they were amazing. I agree. <laughs> Here's three things I learned. What do you think about these three things that I've just told you? And we'll help you out with that on the blog post, a bit of a summary of what Lisa's working on and her contact info. So we've kind of done a bit of the work for you too, but yes, come up with those three things. And thank you very much, Lisa, for being our, our guest today. Anytime. Thanks for the M&Ms. Oh, yeah. I would have preferred if they were caramel and peanut I, butter. Now I know for next time. But I do really appreciate the chocolate. Um, so just a, just a reminder that a lot of what Lisa's work is going to do is going to help create those tools and resources. Keep an eye out for them in 2018. But for now, we want to give you one snack to go. Um, this is something that you can also kind of take with you. Uh, take a moment and ask yourself, what is just one barrier that your organization has, whether it's for yourself, whether it's for volunteers, and think about how can you break it down. You don't need to write it down. You don't need to email it to me. Just think. It's a really important thing to just spend that time to think about it. You can also just let us know uh, what you're thinking and give us your questions at hashtag VTLittleBytes or email us at littlebytes at volunteertoronto.ca. And if you have any pressing questions you'd like answered on air, send us an email or tweet us at volunteerto anytime. You can also find all of our episodes on the Inspiring Action blog at volunteertoronto.ca. Thanks again, Lisa, for coming in this episode, and we hope you enjoyed listening uh, to today's episode of Little Bites and found some solutions you can snack on. Thanks for listening and keep snacking.